Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In our gospel lesson for today, Peter wants to know how much forgiveness is enough. How much or how often does he need to forgive a person who has transgressed or slighted him? Now, forgiveness is hard. It's a difficult concept to grasp. So no wonder he's interested in settling in on a specific figure. So he offers what seems to be a generous amount. What about seven times? And Jesus retorts, no, no, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. 77 times. Jesus then follows up with a parable to further illustrate. And we should resist to read this parable as allegory. Parables are not meant to be taken liter literally. They are not lessons to be boiled down to simple takeaways. And they're not secret codes to be deciphered. They are meant to pull our blinders away and to provide critical reflection. Now the characters of this story are embellished and exaggerated. But the scene would have been familiar to Jesus' audience of the day. In the Mediterranean, kings deployed agents, who many times were slaves, to organize and collect taxes from lower levels of workers, such as farmers and skilled laborers. It created a pyramid that ensured the continuous flow of wealth and power back to the top. In this pyramid of patronage, the goal was to pass along a steady flow of wealth to the top while retaining as much for oneself as possible. You would use your portion to grease your way up the economic ladder. I also want to note that slavery in antiquity was different than slavery in the United States. People would become enslaved for a variety of, variety of reasons, such as repayment of a debt, punishment for a crime, or being a prisoner of war. Some folks could even buy or earn their freedom. It was an exploitative system, but not one built to oppress those of a specific race. So with that background information, we find that this parable opens with a king who is reconciling his accounts. And there is a slave who owes him 10,000 talents. Now one talent was the equivalent of 15 pounds of silver or 15 years of pay. So 10,000 talents is an impossible sum of money to repay in a lifetime. 
Perhaps he's one of these agents who controls the movement of a vast amount of money, a CFO of sorts. And his astronomical debt is the sum of the income that he owes, plus the income that he is responsible for collecting from many, many others. And out of pity, the king releases the agent and forgives him of his sin, a debt that he could not possibly pay back in a single lifetime. And no sooner has he left the sight of the king and he encounters another slave who owes him some money, a hundred denarii to be exact. Now a denarius was worth a day's wage. So the second slave owes the first about a hundred days of labor. Now that is no small amount, but definitely not a lifetime worth of debt. And the agent who has just been forgiven the unimaginable sum in turn refuses to forgive the comparably minuscule amount. And he not only refuses to forgive the debtor, but he turns violent by violently seizing him by the throat. And he is reported to the king who hands him over to be tortured until he can repay his debt. At first glance, this parable appears to focus on the interpersonal dimension of forgiveness. It's about correcting one person's wrongdoing against another. And our attention focuses, it focuses on the fate of the unforgiving slave. For it's easy to get caught up in his story. What would we do if we were in his shoes? Would we have been merciful if we had received mercy? If you remain focused on the individual, however, you miss the wider effect that it has for everyone involved. For it's not just his future that is on the line. He has jeopardized the future of all of those who have dutifully paid their debt and expected him to pass it along. The king's act of mercy is not a private matter, nor an act of consequence for the unforgiving slave alone. It sends a message to the entire system. The king introduces a program of financial amnesty, a jubilee of sorts. The wiping of debt has consequences for everyone, a part of this pyramid. The economic revolution stops there, however, because the slave refuses to pay forward the king's mercy to the next person that he encounters. His failure to carry on the forgiveness halts the spread of financial amnesty for all. The unforgiving slave sees the world as a zero-sum game where there are winners and losers. And that might sound all too familiar to us. We live in a society where we are taught that there is a finite number of resources to go around. 
Each person is taught to focus on their own fate with little regard to others because success becomes about survival of the fittest. There is never enough to go around. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann calls this an ideology of scarcity. He shares that an ideology of scarcity says no. There's not enough, so you have to hold on to what you have. In fact, don't just hold on to it, hoard it. Put aside more than you need so that if you do need it, it will be there, even if others must do without. He goes on. This ideology keeps pounding on us to take more, not to think about our neighbor, to be fearful, short-sighted, grudging. That same ideology of scarcity powers multinational corporations as they roam the world, seeking the best deal, the greatest return, the cheapest labor and materials. Whether it's global policies or local poverty wage jobs, those who fear scarcity refuse to acknowledge any abundance that extends beyond their own coffers. Within this ideology of scarcity, there is a, li a limit to the amount of forgiveness that can be shared. We want to make forgiveness something computable and calculable. When Peter asks, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how, sh how often should I forgive? He wants a rule to obey, a clear directive. So why do we want to place parameters and conditions around our conception of forgiveness? Could our attempts to limit forgiveness be so we can master it and secure it for our own absolution? Or could it be that we are resistant to forgive others because we are resistant to believe that we ourselves are forgiven? Peter wants to know how far forgiveness goes because in the ideology of scarcity, it's seen as a self-serving transaction rather than a gift without any strings attached to it. Instead of working within an ideology of scarcity in which forgiveness is a finite resource, Jesus operates from what Walter Brueggemann calls an affirmation of abundance, in which forgiveness is limitless and measureless. There is more than enough to go around if we only take what we need and share what is given to us. This is an affirmation of abundance, a confidence in God's provision that appears again and again and again in the Bible. In the first chapters of Genesis, God calls forth plants and fishes and birds and animals and commands them to increase and multiply. 
When wandering the barren desert, God provides manna from heaven to feed the starving Israelites. And with five loaves and two fishes, Jesus can feed a crowd of 5,000. And in our story today, a king can forgive many lifetimes of debt. In God's generosity, there is always enough. And therefore, there is no limit for how much forgiveness we can share with one another. And this affirmation of abundance upends the structures of how we negotiate relationships with one another and the systems that shape our lives. Forgiveness is not something that we can hoard for ourselves or even expect God to do on our behalf. We can only encounter it when we share it freely and abundantly with others. And Jesus asserts that it's our responsibility to share it with the world. Now, forgiveness is hard, and forgiveness is difficult, and I'm not going to pretend otherwise. And God's call for limitless and measureless forgiveness is even harder to comprehend, let alone implement in our lives. When I learned that this was the lectionary passage for today, I wondered, how does this parable speak to us right now? How can a story about forgiveness speak to a world that so desperately needs justice? Forgiveness is not about letting someone off of the hook. And forgiveness doesn't mean failing to hold ourselves and others accountable for our actions. This parable deploys hyperbolic language and imagery that aims to startle us, aims to grab our attention, and to stir our imaginations from complacency and numbness. The poetics of the impossible instead of the prose of the probable subvert our assumptions of the status quo and invite us to envision the world in new ways. This story challenges how we organize and prioritize our lives. How would we reshape our, our relationships with one another if we were not fearful, but filled with the knowledge of God's love and confident in God's immeasurable provision? And what does life look like when it's not just about survival, but about everyone's flourishing? Amen.